Grace Church. Pastor, thank you so much for the honor of leading the charge to honor our veterans on this Veterans Day. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I want to tell you all a story about a veteran that I know. It's 2004 in Ramadi, Iraq. A team of Army soldiers had received orders to take out a high-value target. As the team arrived on location, a soldier exited his Humvee and was hit and fell to the ground. The medic rushed to his aid, and a fellow soldier tried to identify what hit him. They patched the soldier up, and he continued on for six hours to complete his mission. He was later taken by truck to a hospital where his wounds were dressed. Four days later, he was back out leading his troops. God was with this soldier that day. He was hit by a rocket-propelled grenade, or an RPG, and had it exploded, he wouldn't be alive. As fate would have it, two weeks later, that same medic that saved him died in his arms after exposing himself to the enemy to protect his fellow soldiers. This is the story of Central Native William Mack McKinnis, a 20-year Army veteran, Purple Heart recipient, and my coworker and friend. His story is one of thousands. Every veteran has their own story, many multiple stories. But the threads that weave them all together are selflessness, valor, and sacrifice. So this Veterans Day, when you're out in the community, thank the gentleman with the Vietnam cap on at the restaurant when you see him. Thank the middle-aged man with the Desert Storm license plate. And most importantly, better yet, thank our veterans here at Grace Church. At this time, I would like to recognize our Grace veterans. As I call your name, if you are able, please stand and remain standing until all names have been read. Jonathan Bryant. Wayne Cooper. Donald Davis. Xavier Hoskins. Kelton Nose. Daryl Sumner. Mike Tomlinson. Kyle Tomlinson. And Byron Tomlinson. Thank you all so much. You may be seated. I will close with this. We are quick to thank a veteran near or on a military holiday, but we need to thank them every chance that we get. Their service and sacrifice afford us the freedom to walk into this sanctuary and worship God without fear. And for that, we owe them a debt of gratitude. Thank you. Amen. Let's all stand together. I think another round of applause would be in order. Amen. Thank you, Brandy. What, Sister Brandy, what a great presentation and uh, just so well done. And thank you to our veterans. Thank you so much for what you've done today. 
uh, or what you've done, and we honor you today. Are you glad to be in the house of God? You glad to, are you glad the presence of God is here? Amen. I'd like to just take this opportunity to welcome everybody here uh, on campus today. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we're so glad you've chosen to make this service a part of your schedule. We know it'll be a blessing to you. Just a couple of quick things, and then we're going to uh, begin our worship set. I do want to remind all of our parents, all of the uh, parents of our students, uh, if you would meet with me right after church today, after the altar service in classroom two, we have a very brief informational meeting about North American Youth Congress. So if you'll meet with me just very briefly after church today. This coming Tuesday is morning prayer in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. I also heard something about an election this Tuesday. I don't know if you've seen any. I hadn't really seen too many signs, but there was one or two out in the community. Uh, you may have heard something about that. But don't forget to vote. Uh, election day is this Tuesday. And then finally, if your child, ages 11 and up, would like to participate in the Christmas Youth Choir, uh, you need to contact Sherry Bunch or Michelle Groen. We'd love for them to be a part of that, and those ladies will have some more information for you. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. The praise team is going to lead us into the presence of God. If you've come to worship today, and if you're ready, I'm going to ask you one more time to just clap your hands to Jesus. Welcome his presence here today. God bless you. Thank you. 
just there just yet. Let's give the Lord some praise and some honor and some glory. Our God is in the house today and he deserves the praise of his people. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed is the Lord God Almighty. Blessed is the Lord Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Praise the Lord. If you love the Lord, say amen. Praise God. Praise God. I appreciate the presence of God I have felt from the very beginning of this service. From the very moment that I began teaching this morning, I felt God's incredible presence, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I am humbled, as always, to stand in the presence of Almighty God. I do not deserve His attention, nor do I deserve His grace, but I sure will accept it. Praise God. Praise God. I do not normally have much of a preamble to my messages that I deliver here at Grace, but I, I, I do feel kind of compelled this morning to share some personal sentiments before I begin my message. Sentiment that I want to refer to and, and share with you is appreciation. Appreciation. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak here this morning. I do not take it lightly. I understand the responsibility of standing behind this pulpit. I hope that it allows me at some capacity to be an instrument of the Lord's will in the lives of His people in this late hour. I also deeply love and appreciate our pastor. I don't think we can say that enough. Praise the Lord. I appreciate our pastor and the great men that, that I can call fellow laborers with here in the ministry. And I appreciate this church. Take a look around you. There's a bunch of good people here this morning. I love you and I appreciate you. My family and I came here several years ago and were immediately embraced by not only the culture of grace, but by the genuine, authentic love of those people that make up the body of Christ in this place. Thank you. And finally, I appreciate my Lord. I appreciate my Lord. He is the one that has lifted me far beyond my natural capabilities and has given me family and has given me this church and has given me purpose. Praise the Lord. I appreciate the Lord this morning. Our text today will... And we'll read it in just a moment. Our text today will be centered around the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the New Testament. The longest conversation, an incredible encounter with Christ. This conversation, this encounter, provides us with a template for our encounters with Christ. A template, a, a pathway a place, a method, or a pathway through the obstacles of our lives and our minds provides the correct idea of what we should expect in an encounter with Jesus. How many of you have felt the presence of God in this place this morning? I want you to consider that. Our text will be drawn from the fourth chapter of the book of John. It is a conversation that spans approximately 40 verses. You will not have to read them all, so relax. Approximately 40 verses in this chapter, and it's held, of course, between Jesus and a specific woman in a very specific place. Read with me. We begin at verse 3 in John chapter 4. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Verse 4. 
but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, that, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour or about noon, the hottest part of the day in that area, in that region of the world. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to this woman of Samaria, give me to drink. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Lord, we love and appreciate you, dear God. We are so very thankful, dear God, for your presence that we feel, that we know is in this place. And I pray, dear God, that your spirit would saturate the hearts and the minds of the people that are here, that they are drawn closer to you, dear God, that they are elevated beyond the places that they are in, that we are malleable in your hands, Lord God, and allow your spirit to minister to us today in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Before we, be, we explore our text, before we more, look more deeply into this particular interaction, this encounter, I need to share with you the origin or inspiration for this message. If you think back over the last year, we here at Grace have had some incredible encounters with Christ. Can I hear an amen? We have had incredible encounters with the Lord in this place. The Spirit of God has moved in amazing, incredible ways. Miraculous manifestations of his presence have, they have accentuated our understanding of the reality of God as we have gathered here to worship and to learn. We have seen the miraculous take place in this auditorium over the last year. We have felt the draw, the pull of his precious spirit as his word has been preached across this pulpit and our hearts have been touched and our minds spoken to in profound ways Sunday after Sunday over the course of this year. Every scene, it seems like every Sunday that we come here, the, the, the praise team leads us in worship and we feel the beautiful presence of God and the Lord moves us in that particular service. We have an encounter with Christ. We have felt the urgings of God's Spirit. And we know that God's presence has been in this place. It is humbling when you think about it. We have felt His urgent appeal to move in a direction that brings us in alignment with His will. We have felt that. Or to pull us from the clutches of this world. Or to simply reveal himself to us as we languish in some personal darkness. To put it simply, we have had incredible encounters. Encounters that satisfied our need for a brush or an exposure with the divine and a confirmation of his reality and of our, and our lives. We've come to this place, and on, that, on Sunday mornings, 
We've had a brush with the divine. Yeah, God is real. I felt his presence. It is so satisfying to exit this building after we have experienced an amazing encounter with Christ. Which brings me to a question. To a question that has been fixed. It's been burned into my mind. It is a question that I believe must be considered honestly by every person that is listening to this message this morning. Whether you're here in the auditorium, whether you're joining us on live stream. It is a question that requires an answer after careful self-examination and deliberation. The question is this. This is the question that has been burning in my mind and in my heart for the last several weeks. Have we had so many satisfactory encounters with God? That we have become satisfied with only an encounter. Have we had so many satisfactory encounters with Christ? So many satisfactory brushes with the divine that we have become satisfied with only an encounter and nothing else. This is the question that must be answered in our hearts and must be answered because of the time in which we live and the challenges that we currently face and the challenges that we're going to face in the future. It must be answered because we must understand, ladies and gentlemen, the actual components of our foundation with God, the basis for our relationship and the salvation that we have. This question should cause us to evaluate our motives for being in this place and how we value this precious treasure of truth that we have been gifted with by God. When we genuinely explore that question, we are confronted with revelations that perhaps makes us a little uncomfortable with the answer. When we think about the possibility of us being satisfied with only an encounter, only that brush with the divine. It opens the door to questions that are logically linked to that one. Such as, do we think that our experiences with Jesus are completely encapsulated by the physical feeling of momentary euphoria that exists in those moments of intersection on Sunday morning? Is your entire relationship based upon that singular aspect of the encounter with Christ? Does the fact that we feel His call in the environment of our encounter satisfy us week after week? The fact that we feel the tug of His Spirit. Not that we move in this direction, but simply that we feel the appeal. Is that enough to satisfy us this morning? Does that momentary contact with the divine satiate our need for a religious experience? Does it provide us with consolation that even though I'm not where I need to be with God, at least I can still feel His presence? 
Or is the experience of that occasional, appropriately supernatural encounter seen as the pinnacle of our walk with God? These are hard questions. And I believe they're being asked to us by the Lord in this late hour. Do we perceive the truth of God only through the satisfaction of our need to see something amazing? Being content with the vestiges of religion, but standing ever on the periphery of God's will and ever on the outside of vibrant relationship, being satisfied with being in the proximity of Christ, having an encounter, but never moving forward in what that encounter represents. The answer when faith brings us to the realization that our encounter, that our encounter, although real and valuable and beautiful and necessary, is not the totality of our experience with God. It is, ladies and gentlemen, in reality, your encounter with Christ in this place on Sunday mornings. It is in reality a threshold through which we find relationship and fellowship with our Creator, our Lord and our Savior. That encounter, it is beautiful and necessary and we love it. We've had it here this morning. But this is not the pinnacle of relationship with God. That drawing of His Spirit, that appeal that He is making to you is meant to drive you further in relationship. It is meant to sustain you from one service to the next. It is meant to create within you a fellowship with the divine that you've had an encounter with. Let's return to our text and see if we can extract some principles about encounters with Christ, their intended results. And for us to appreciate the nature of this narrative, we need context. It is not simply a casual conversation between a, a woman and a man. We cannot view this interaction through the lens of our modern world. When you begin to study this place and, and study this time, you learn how extraordinary this particular interaction actually is. When you look at Samaria, it, is, it was both a region and a city and that experienced tremendous changes through its history. The city of Samaria was located in central Israel, about 30 miles north of Jerusalem and about 6 miles southwest of Shechem. Within this region of Samaria is the city of Sychar, which is where we find Jacob's well. This was the location, this was the location of Jesus' conversation with a woman who had the longest conversation with Jesus in the scripture and had no name. We, she was unnamed in the scripture. Geographical location of this region is not the only thing that makes it so unique. The people of this region were peculiar in that they were tethered to the Jewish nation, both genetically and spiritually and also culturally. The Samaritans were genetically half Jew, half Gentile. The race, about, the race came about after the Assyrians' captivity of the northern kingdom in about 721 B.C. when the Assyrian nation overcame Israel. And some of the people were, were, were brought into captivity 
and extracted from that area, but some of them remained. And the people who remain intermarried with the Assyrians, producing the Samaritans. The mixing of the races created tension within the region due to the cultural prohibition of Israelites marrying non-Israelites. But even though there was this mixing of cultures, mixing of cultures, the imprint of truth remained in that people. The Samaritans had their own temple. It was a temple to Jehovah. They had their own copy of the Torah and their own religious system. And because of this, there was an issue among the Jews and the Samaritans to wear the proper place and the proper methodology of worship. There was a tension among these peoples. Put it simply, they were a people with an awareness of truth, an awareness of the truth of God. They had a spiritual structure that approximated that of ethnically pure Israelites. This close association with truth without the ethnic, ethnic purity caused a tremendous sense of hostility to exist between Jew and Samaritan. They hated one another. This is the environment. This is the environment into which Jesus walked that hot day on his journey from Judea and Galilee. This is the place that he decided to stop. In verse 4 of John chapter 4, the scripture records that Jesus, quote, needed to go through Samaria. I do not believe that the Lord needed to traverse this region simply because it provided the best route to his destination. I believe he needed to walk, this well, walk past this well on the outskirts of a city called Sychar because he needed to have an encounter with a marginalized woman in the middle of the day. It was a time and a place that was necessary, ladies and gentlemen, necessary for her to hear truth. He did not approach this woman in her home. He didn't go knock on her door. He didn't meet her in the street. He didn't meet her in the market. He met her in a place and a time that defined her condition. It defined her condition. He was obviously a Jew and she was obviously a Samaritan. But her reluctance to extend, her reluctance extended to interact with Jesus beyond cultural differences. There was, there was the problem of her ethnicity, but, but that didn't cause her to gather water at the time of day when few, if any, people were gathered around that well. The fact that she was Samaritan had nothing to do with it. Fact was, this woman was a sinner, marginalized with her own, within her own community, marginalized because of her condition, shamed to the point of attending to her duties when most sought shade from the oppressive heat. She left her home under the weight of her conditions, her reality. She walked in the heat of the day bound to her circumstances with little expectation of change. It was into this environment, this, the personal malignancies of her life that Jesus provided the encounter. You have to understand what he did. He walked into a place where a Jew would not normally go and interacted with a woman which was not normally done and especially a sinner woman. 
I said that Jesus met her in that moment, in a place, in a time that defined her condition. I want you to take a look around you. Take a look around you. Why do you think that we're in this place on a Sunday morning? Why do you think that we're here? Do you think that this place is a haven of the perfect? Do you think that this place is a haven for the perfect? Do you think that this campus is a refuge for the flawless? You may not realize this, but this building is filled with individuals who have failed, people who have deficiencies, and who have lived lives touched with sin, shame, and regret. That is what filled this auditorium. This is the place that is necessary for God to have an encounter. This is the place that God chooses to have an encounter. Why? Because you need Him right now. When you entered this place this morning, you may have entered with an awareness of the reality of God. You, have, you may have stepped into this auditorium having something approximating faith in your life. You also enter this building with, with malignant forces at work in your own life. You are perhaps in the tender position of understanding your failures and your persistent deficiencies while in an environment that you recognize is associated with God. That precious woman stood by that well with an understanding, a knowledge of God's reality as well as the weight of her sin. She exited her home, got her water pot, and began to make the slow walk to the well. Burdened by the shame of her condition, the marginalization of her society, little did she know that at that well would be her creator. Reminds me of a very simple principle. Knowing about God is good, but knowing is not enough. You must understand something about Jesus. Jesus will move to encounter you where you need Him most. Jesus will step into your life when you are weighted with the shame and sin of a disappointing life. Your encounter with Christ can occur at the point when you feel the weakest and the most vulnerable. This is when you can have your encounter with God. Why? Why is this? What propelled, what, what compelled Christ to meet with this woman at this well? What compels Christ to meet with you here Sunday after Sunday? Why? Because we have a God that is defined by love. A love that surpasses the capacities of humanity to love. If you can inscribe any scripture in your mind, you should remember Romans 5 and 8, 
But God demonstrates, He demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait till that woman had a change of heart. He did not change. He did not wait until she changed the dynamic of her life. He met that woman in the middle of her sin. In the very place where she needed Him most. That is where the encounter with Christ will take place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The woman at the well illustrates that Jesus reaches into the lives that can only be helped by His hands. Jesus creates an encounter to actively reach into lives that have been wrecked beyond comprehension. There was no way out for her. Everyone knew who she was. She had been exposed. And yet Jesus still had an encounter with her in her place of need. In this narrative, Jesus gave us a lesson in obstacles created from the fabric of culture and experience when he spoke to a woman at the Jacob's well outside that particular city. Verses 7 through 9 says, Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give us, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, she understood her place, thou, being a Jew, asks, Drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews, let me educate you, sir, sitting on a well in the middle of the day. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This woman who was not named in the Bible was reluctant to interact with her creator because of the cultural structure in which she lived. She was unable to immediately discern the reality of who she was interacting with because of that filter that was fixed in her mind. How often do we come through these doors with our value, our personal value, fixed in our minds so, so thoroughly that we cannot lift our hands to the God that wants to save us. Burdened by our sin, burdened by our failures, burdened by our deficiencies to the point where we, all, we just want to be in the presence of God. We're satisfied with just being, being in the presence, having an encounter with Christ. We have no expectation of what there can be after that encounter. Because why? Because we're a sinner. Because we've made mistakes. Because we're in error. Somebody has to understand something this morning. God is having an encounter with you in this church for a reason. He understands who you are. He understands where you've come from. And he have, He's come here to have an encounter with you for that reason. He's not repulsed by your sin. He's not repulsed by you. He wants to have an encounter to draw you deeper into fellowship and relationship. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. 
Somebody has to understand who you're dealing with this morning. You have to understand what you're dealing with this morning. There has to be a revelation in your heart of the capacity of God Almighty to love you right now. In verse 10, we see Jesus beginning the process of destroying the obstacle to the revelation of his identity. The removal of the obstacles and the revelation of who God is and who we are necessary if we're going to move beyond just the encounter, you have to know who Jesus is. Jesus reached into the life of this precious woman only after moving aside the mental devices that had developed within her because of her proximity to a culture that encouraged division from the larger Jewish community and even her marginalization within that community. She was on the outside, ladies and gentlemen, of the outside. But God still had her as part of his intent and purpose. This woman had no idea of her value, but we're reading about her 2,000 years later. But this intent and vision to be expressed in her life, however, that woman had to move beyond just the encounter. Jesus' interaction with her was contrary to the established cultural norms. He defied the dictates of the society in which she lived and the expectations that she had in her own life. You cannot allow Grace Church you cannot allow the distorted vision of this world to define Jesus to you. Your knowledge of the Most High must be based upon His truth in His Word. We live in a culture that wants to relegate high divine things to the low purposes of religious entertainment. This world wants to approximate the holy while retaining the carnal. Modern religiosity is tainted with the ideas that relegate God to the improvement of circumstances only. Never the exposure of separation due to sin or the value of fellowship into eternity. When we read through this narrative, we understand another principle about encountering Christ. We will be confronted by our we will be confronted by our sin and that confrontation is necessary that confrontation is okay verses 11 through 14 the Lord reveals that he is superior to anything provided by this world and that its value the thing that what he provides extends into eternity. The woman desiring this life-altering force in her life of pain and separation asked Jesus for this spring of divine water. And in this moment of encounter, she is confronted with the exposure of her sinful position. Verses 17 through 15 through 18 says this, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband 
come here. The woman answered and said, I love her honesty. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have five husbands. You have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. In this you have spoken truly. We don't need, we don't like to be exposed to the truth of our sin and depravity. It is, however, through the pain of that revelation, through the pain of that revelation, stands the beauty of the gospel of Christ. In the realization of your place of need, on the other side of that encounter, with your sin and your failures and depravity, on the other side of that, you have Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for the sin that you have committed. Praise God. And to get to that place, to that atoning sacrifice, you have to kneel at the cross and understand that you are flawed, ladies and gentlemen. The pathway to redemption pathway to a redemption leads to an encounter with the reality of our wickedness and deficiencies. We, unfortunately, would rather our encounters with God be defined by a change in our situation without the attendant confrontation with our errant choices. We want the benefits of relationship without facing the sin in our lives. There has to be the admission of our need and our realization of our inability to affect salvation. Our change lies on the other side of the encounter. How often does humanity seek an encounter with Christ for the improvement of circumstances and situation only? No consideration is given to the eternal state of our souls. An encounter with Christ is sought for the sake of the encounter alone. We approach the throne desiring an appreciation of our finances, an improvement of our physical or mental health exclusively. That is not how God works. Consider when Jesus dealt with a paralytic man lowered through the ceiling. Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, When they came to him bringing the paralytic whom was carried by four men, this man had some needs. And when they could not come near to him, they wanted an encounter. They wanted an encounter. But why? They could not come near to him because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic man, Son, your sins are forgiven you. The necessity of that encounter, whether those men realized it or not, the necessity was the eternal place of that man's soul. The value was not in whether or not he got up and walked. It was what would happen on the other side of eternity, on the other side of his death. This man would have been wealthy in experience if he was picked up, having his sins forgiven, and brought back to his home in the same bed they brought him. 
Unfortunately, eternal things are not under consideration when many seek the encounter with Christ. Many would prefer that for her to have another encounter, to be improved in this life and continue down our own path. I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes we leave an encounter with Christ on a Sunday morning, returning to our carnal lives, thinking to ourselves, I'm just going to have another encounter next Sunday. I'll just go back to the well tomorrow. Jesus will be there. I don't really need to change. I don't really need to make any different choices. I don't really need to move forward in that encounter because he'll be there next Sunday. I'll go back to the well and feel his presence another time. This is not the way of the Lord. Within our encounter with Jesus, we have the revelation of who he is and that on the other side of that encounter is a change that yields a different life and a different eternal destiny. Verses 20 through 26 of chapter 4 says, You worship what you know you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. This is a beautiful statement of Christ. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. This revelation of the identity of God manifest in the flesh was imparted to a marginalized woman in a marginalized society. Stop listening to the devil telling you you have no worth. Christ died for you. Not so that you could come here every single Sunday morning existing in the same sin-filled state, in the same places of disappointment, in the same darknesses, so you can go back into it again tomorrow and then hopefully come next Sunday and feel something good and be in the proximity of God. I'm telling you that God can move you through that encounter into relationship and fellowship with Him. This Samaritan woman was propelled from this encounter into something different. She was not the same woman once she met with Jesus. The purpose was not the improvement of her finances or her health or her social standing. When she left that, that, that well and, and began to walk back to town, she was, she, it was still hot. She was still a marginalized woman. Her health was the same. Nothing changed except that she had an encounter with God and it moved her into a different place of relationship. Stop determining your level and, and vibrancy of relationship with God by material measurements. I don't care how much money you got in the bank. I don't care what you drive. You could leave this place today destitute and poor and wake up in heaven. Thanks God. The reality that the encounter with Jesus disrupted that Samaritan woman's life. Verse 28 says, The woman then left her water pot 
went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She's talking to people she wasn't supposed to be talking to. Why? Because something changed within her. It wasn't just a historical footnote in her life. She moved forward in something that was given to her in that encounter. She left that encounter with Jesus, seemingly indifferent to those things that relegated her to a marginalized position in that society. She had a message that needed to be shared. Let me tell you something, folks. God understands the life that you've lived. He understands the failures that you have. And yes, so do the people around you. They need to hear God's message come out of your lips. They need to hear that God can take something that's destitute and broken and change it. It's God. Your testimony is invaluable. The encounter for this woman was the threshold to change. There is something beyond the encounter, and we have to embrace that. Our encounter with God that momentary intersection between the divine and the mundane cannot be seen as the apex of our experience with the Lord. If we're not careful, our enthusiasm for the Lord will be dependent upon the nature of our Sunday morning experience. We may fall into a rhythm of week-long carnality punctuated by encounters with Christ on one day on the weekend. We're not here... We're not here to create an emotional response that approximate, approximates something holy without the underlying holy God and its foundation. That's not what we're trying to do. I'm not trying to appeal to you emotionally. You did not buy a ticket to enter this auditorium for a unique, engaging experience. We must remember that our encounter with Christ is the threshold to a substantive life change it is the threshold it is the threshold not the destination of our total experience with God this world would relegate true religious experience to something controllable something born from the minds of man something that does not possess the revelation of Jesus's identity nor would it confront us with an the necessary reality of our sin. Sometimes encounters with Christ are uncomfortable. This world wants to provide an encounter that is at its heart simply a distraction from the actual underlying problems of our lives. Jesus did not draw her water. He did not carry it back to her home he simply told that woman who he was. What this world provides for us would be an encounter that approximates God, but does not allow those who experience it to pass into relationship. Because what the world provides, ladies and gentlemen, is not a threshold. That is what is appealing to our culture, to devalue an encounter with God to the point of reassuring entertainment. Reassuring entertainment. If you are in need of God, if you are in need of God here this morning, 
and you are encountering Christ here today. I don't want you to leave this place reassured still in your sin. You need to have that encounter and move forward and in that interaction. Samaritan woman's experiences educates us. We see in her experience the encounter with Christ. That encounter reveals to her the truth of his identity with the hope provided in his identity and his purpose. We see that she is then confronted with her sin, the revelation of her deficiencies, but with the hope of Jesus standing on the other side of that revelation. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we see this. He expressed his power in the lives of those around him. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He delivered those bound by the demonic. He fed those who were hungry and calmed the storms, threatening those with, without faith. In each of those moments, we see the intersection of the divine and the earthly. In each of these moments, when we read through the New Testament, we witness the encounter of man with God. And in each of these moments, we see that the purpose of that interaction, of that encounter, was to move beyond it in faith and belief. Those encounters were meant to educate those participants as to the reality of God and to be a threshold into deeper understanding, belief, and ultimately relationship. That was the purpose. That was the purpose. The encounters that we have here on Sunday mornings aren't to give you a warm and fuzzy feeling so that you can come back next Sunday and have it over again and live the life that you want in between. Jesus did all those amazing things. As Jesus began his ministry as recorded in the Gospel of John in that first chapter, as example, we read of the profound capacity of our Lord to heal the most desperate of illnesses and deliver the gravely possessed. But we also read his first words. That first chapter of John, we see the miraculous power of God. We see the encounter. But what were, the, what were the first things that Jesus said? Verse 15 says this, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What value to those people in eternity would have been whole bodies without salvation? Those encounters were preceded by the appeal to repent and to turn to God. I ask again this morning, have we had so many satisfactory encounters with God that we have become satisfied with only an encounter? Do we desire our encounter with God to be the threshold to a deeper walk with Him, or would we prefer to meet with Him occasionally at the well and then go about our own lives unencumbered with His expectations of transformations? Please stand. We are living in a time in which deception is subtle. 
and alternatives to truth, uh, to truth are made to be appealing even to those who have an understanding of God. For people to stand against the tide of this world, for the body of Christ to stand as a beacon against the cunning deception of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, we must progress beyond the threshold of the encounter into committed fellowship with Christ. That's my appeal here this morning. I'm not going to scream it at you. It's not necessary because the Lord is talking to you right now. He's making his appeal. You're having an encounter with him right now in this place. I'm reminded of the Lord's comments toward the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Hearing the knock, ladies and gentlemen, is important. That encounter with the divine is precious and valuable. But the Lord's statement does not end with the knock. If anyone hears my voice and then opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. It's a simple appeal, ladies and gentlemen. You can come forward this morning find your place at an altar speak to God this morning you have had an encounter with Christ but that encounter is not meant to end in this place at 12 13 p.m. on a Sunday morning your encounter with Christ is meant to draw you forward into a walk that sustains you through the dark places that you're going to find yourself tomorrow. It's an encounter that's meant to be a threshold, a doorway into something beautiful and sustainable and real. I pray that you find your place this morning and pray. God bless you, church.
Change my life, and I will praise you for. 